harvest. I'll tell you, it is so good. Karen and I are just so glad to be back home with you today. And we've been gone for the last few weeks. And two weeks ago, we were in North Carolina as our son and daughter-in-law graduated from college and just rejoicing with them and then spending a week with them. And here this last week up in Wisconsin with Harvest and uh, 40 other pastors, senior pastors with Harvest Churches and their wives and Kent Shaw and James and just others. It's just been a great time, but I'll tell you, it's great to be back. I just love you guys, and it's so nice to be here with you, and so grateful for Eric and just investing in his uh, life and uh, the time and doing such a good job in the Word, and I'm so thrilled as well to be back and being able to start Galatians chapter 5. Now, in your sermon notes, it actually says Galatians 4 and up through 5, but uh, I'm making a jump ahead because some things going on here this summer. I'll be telling you more about that in the coming week or two, but um, we're jumping in chapter 5, so that was my fault not communicating with Eric in the bulletin update there for you, but we are in chapter 5, and I want to tell you something. I have been looking forward to chapter, chapter 5 and 6 for a long time, and uh, there is great news to be delivering to you today. Some great, are you ready for some great news? In fact, just say, Doug, we're ready for some great news. I'm so glad that just naturally came out of your heart. You know, just, I'm just so excited about it because I want to tell you this. Listen, listen to me, seriously. The redeemed person in Jesus Christ is set free. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about some lame, mamsy, pamsy, like let's just get around group hug, you know, kind of blah, blah, blah out from us as people because we just think we're so fine and dandy. I'm not talking about that wimpy kind of stuff. I am talking about the reality that we have been set free from the curse and the control of sin if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I am talking about being completely set free. I'm not saying perfect, but I am saying set free. And I want to let you know today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if there's a time in your life where you've received Christ as your Savior, what we have to talk about today, even though some of it's kind of like, this is why we don't go there, this is all about freedom, and today's about a day where it's just like, oh, yeah, love this, love this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to let you know that what we're talking about today is what you're missing. I'm serious. It is what's there for you. This is good stuff. So, we have been set free for something. You see, because if a person's set free from something, in other words, it could be like, you know what? I was set free from this situation, and I was given another kind of semi-lousy situation, but not as lousy as that one. I was set free from that, but now I got a whole new lousy situation. That's not what we're talking about here. What the Bible is talking about is, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have been set free from something to something, for something. You want to know what that for is? Oh, I'm so glad you guys, you guys are just like on the edge of your seat. Open your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. Hey, if you don't have a Bible with you, I think we'll be having some people coming around with Bibles. And if you're not used to bringing your Bible to church, I want for you to get used to bringing your Bible here. You, get, you open to Galatians 5. In fact, would you just kind of hold your Bible up so I know that 
You got it there? Okay. Oh, that's a beautiful sight. And in fact, hold it up and kind of go like this. It's just like a wave of Bible. Love it. Jeff's over there with his iPad. I am so jealous. That is so high tech. Okay, if you have an English Standard Version, which is the version I'm, I'm teaching out of, what are the first two words? Okay, one more time. What are the first two words? For freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Isn't that kind of cool? Hey, let's kind of work this statement out here. Uh, we're going to be spending a good part of our time here this morning in just verse 1, and then verses uh, 2 through 15 just kind of flow out of that here. So let's hunker down in verse 1. In verse 1, it begins with this statement of someone has done something. Someone has done something. Listen, it's not me and it's not you. In other words, I haven't done something to uh, uh, some level of achieve something. It says Christ has. Christ has done something. It's not me, it's not you, it's not my self-achieved level morality or, or spiritualness. It's not your own uh, platinum club historical church membership background that you might have in your family lineage for gazillion years. We start out here and we see in here, this is talking about no one other than Christ. And Christ has done something. What has Christ done? He has set you free. Well, let's talk about that statement. He has set you free. Free from what? I mean, if I'm set free, that means I have to be set free from something. Turn about 30 pages to the left to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Um, marvelous. Uh, this week, I would really encourage you, just delve yourself into Romans chapter 8. It so fits with what we're talking about today. First two verses I want to key in on. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, there is therefore now. All right, this is talking to the believer in Christ. The one has been redeemed, saved in Christ, is truly saved in Christ. Here it's saying, now there is something. It's not something that happened in the past. It's not some event that's just only going to happen in the future. It's talking about now. Now something has happened. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation. Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation. Not mostly not condemnation. Not for the most of the time there's no condemnation. It's now there is no condemnation. Let's read the rest. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's really important to understand. This statement being made, there is no condemnation. Who is it coming from? This is coming from God. Listen, follower of Christ, from God's eyes, there is therefore now no condemnation on you. None. Zero. Zippo. Nano. Nada. There is therefore now no condemnation on you. Listen, that's God's perspective of you. Isn't it interesting how in the scriptures, the, the Bible tells us that Satan loves to condemn God's children. Do you know if you are God's child, from Satan's point of view, you don't deserve it. 
If you would just look at how you've come to Christ and again and again and again and again, you lousy follower of Christ, you continue to fail the great God of the universe. Doug, you are a loser, Satan would want to say. And you know what? He's right. But listen to me. There is therefore now no condemnation from God's perspective. So if I can rightly say in the proper kind of a context, as though we did not say in our home when our children were growing up, Satan, shut up. Because there is therefore now no condemnation because of the work of the cross. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, by the way, that whole condemnation thing, we have a tendency to condemn ourselves. Man, am I a doof. I mean, how many times am I going to go and not finally get this thing in serving the Lord? How long is it going to take me until I get off of being selfish all about me? And that, we know what that's like on ourselves, true? Listen to me. From God's perspective, there is therefore now no condemnation. Only because of what Christ has done free. That's why they're happy. Um, mm. Ouch. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free. He set us free from what? From condemnation. Christ has set us free from condemnation. For what? Okay, it's one thing to be able to say, great, I've been freed from the curse of sin. I've been freed from the control of sin. I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm not saying that we don't sin anymore. That's not what this is talking about. But from God's eternal salvation perspective, this is the focus of it. There is now therefore no condemnation on me. I've been set free in all of this. Yet in the reality of all this, I still have the question of what's he set me free for? And what's he set me free for? For freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For liberty. Hey, I just want to uh, uh, challenge you, uh, follower of Christ, on this. When you think about the Christian life, kind of what's the emotions? What, what, like, what's the gut thing there? What's the thought process there? Is it like, you know, I'm a Christian. Oh, man. This is a burdensome life. I mean, wow. It's, it's a battle. The Christian life. Ugh. How about this? For freedom, Christ has set me free. How about this? I was once a slave to sin, but because of the amazing, adorning, unending grace of God made available to me, I'm set free. How about when I think about the Christian life, all I think about is amazing, abundant, flowing, nonstop grace displayed to me. How about in the process I think of, I'm forgiven, I am pardoned. Not only that, as we've talked weeks in the past, not only all of that wonderful stuff, but I have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. It's so unfair, but I love it. 
about when I think about the Christian life? I'm just engulfed with the redeemed reality. I'm engulfed by the fact that the Spirit of God has been sealed in me. I am empowered by the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. No, for real, in me. Amazing. How about the fact of it that God loves me? For freedom, Christ has set you free. I was once separated. I was once in bondage. I was once guilty. I was once lost. I was once confused. I was once fearful. I was once a slave owned by Satan, but God. Yippee. How about when we think about the Christian life? We think from hopeless and condemned to there is therefore now no condemnation from God upon me because of Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Whew. Hey, listen, if right now in your mind you're like, but how far does this freedom thing go? Because, you see, if we have lots of freedom, then that means that we've got to start putting up some fences because we know what happens when people are free. It's like, let's get legalistic. Are you uncomfortable with the freedom thing? Oh, you shouldn't be. I just want to tell you, for freedom... Christ has set you free. And I can just feel it because I feel it in me. But, but, you know what I'm talking about? But, but, no! For freedom, Christ has set me free. Let's just hang on this freedom reality here for a little bit. Because I love it. Let's hang on this. Let, let, let's talk about what this really looks like in action because Paul starts, listen, we, we're what, 11 minutes in and we've only gotten halfway through the first verse? Hey, listen, we're going to take about another 10 on the other half because this is so good and then we're just going to run through the rest because everything flows out of this. For freedom, Christ has set you free. What's the next thing? It says, ESV, stand firm, therefore. Hey, whenever God states something really, really wonderful, there's an action that comes along with it. Oh, yeah, there we go. Woo, finally, we've got it. I got to do something to earn it. No. In light of this great freedom, there's something that we have to do. Stand firm. Uh, do you, uh, the word. It, it's, a, it's a present active imperative verb. Present. It means that it's something that's now. It's not an action that happened in the past. It's not a future verb. It's not something that's going to happen. It's a present verb. It's an active verb. In the Greek, that means it has a continuous movement to it. Presently, presently, presently. That means now, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. It's present, active, continuous. And it's also an imperative. That means it's a command. So Paul, in this, he's saying, listen, followers of Christ, you must Stand firm. I love this idea of stand firm. I remember back in, in, in the days of old when I was in shape, 
in high school and college and so forth, playing sports was like in basketball. It's like, this is my spot, and you're not getting around. I remember in football, that cornerback, and it's like, you are not getting out this side of the field. You can have that side of the field, but not this side of the field, because this is mine, is the added. And whether you're a linebacker, whatever you were in that day. I remember in college playing soccer, I was a sweeper because we're in the, the soccer world. Oh, by the way, isn't that noise a noise? Anyway, that wasn't in my notes. So in the soccer, I was a sweeper, and so it's back. I was the last guy before the goalie, a fullback. And so it's like, you are not getting past. Listen, this is stand firm right here. Therefore, there, for freedom, you are set free. Stand firm on that. I'm protecting it. Listen, you are not going to take away the fact that I am set free in Christ. Satan, shut up. Standing firm. You see, if I was just someone who's kind of like, you know, here we could just have someone like lob some bean balls at me and just like, whoa, would take me off of standing firm. In fact, you know the TV show Wipeout? You know what I'm talking about? I love this show. All right? You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's an obstacle course and they have contestants on it and they go through and they try and make it to the end of this. And all this funny stuff happening, I think it's funny watching it. I mean, I am just in tears when I watch this thing. And, you know, ladies getting punched. In, oh, that sounds not bad on tape. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the punching wall and then this guy falling. This is classic, is that not? In other words, I think you're supposed to be the other way around uh, going through. But in this, I love it. But there's one uh, item uh, event in it. It's called the sweeper. And uh, this is when I think of stand firm. In the center picture here, you've got these pedestals around, so the contestants stand on this, and, and this arm swings around, and it moves. And, and I've even seen it once where they have, like, these guys dressed up as clowns, and they're shooting goo guns and things at the people. And the whole idea is they're trying to knock them off the pedestal. And the purpose of the game is to stand firm. This is my pedestal. I'm staying on this pedestal, and you're not taking me off. Come on, you can goo me, you can fling at me, you can laugh at me, but I'm telling you, stand firm on freedom in Christ. Protect that one. He's staying on. You can just see he's, he's doing it, he's doing it. Yeah, ouch. Stand firm is the idea of the text. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. The scripture talks about this standing firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand firm in the faith. Philippians 2, 7. Stand firm in one spirit. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. Stand firm in the Lord. It has this idea. I'm not earning it, but I'm clinging to it. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm in the teaching that you were taught here in Galatians 5.1. Stand firm on your freedom given in Christ. Stand firm. It has the idea that I must do something. It also has the idea that I must not do something. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and look, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's interesting here, Paul gives this emphatic a present active imperative to stand firm, and he follows that also up with a command not to subject yourselves back to the way it was without Christ. Do not submit. Do not be subjected to. It means do not be loaded down with. Do not be burdened with the weightiness of. Do not submit yourselves. And I love the fact it says again. 
because it again contains this idea in it that I know what it's like to be living there. He's not saying, hey, don't go back there. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but just don't go there. He's saying, no, no, you know exactly what I'm talking about, what life was like there without Christ. Don't go back there. Uh, and don't go back where? Don't you love the illustration? A yoke of slavery. I mean, I think of an ox. An ox here with a yoke put around his neck. It's perfectly fitted for that ox. And when you think of that ox pulling the yoke, there's a plow behind, there's a trailer behind with lots of weight back here. And it's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Doesn't this look like a fun life? Ugh, no hope. I'm just an ox yoked to a plow that moves dirt. And I don't think if you got inside that ox's head in, in this illustration, he's doing this, uh, uh, and he's going, I love this. <laughs> this is the illustration of, listen, this is slavery tied down, weighted down, loaded down. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your sins and trespasses. An heir of Satan, unable to get out of the yoke of the slavery of sin. Verse 4, but God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in that reality. Woo! The yoke is off. Christ said, my burden is light. It is? I mean, I think kind of following Christ as the, you know, carry your cross reality. No, no, no. Compared to uh, 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 no hope in sin. Pfft. That's light. It's a joy. It's a delight. I must not do that. Christ has set me free. He's set me free from the curse and control of sin to a life of righteousness in the power of His Spirit. Stand firm on that and don't go back. Before we go, I just have to say, uh, isn't it interesting, though, how we kind of love to go back? I mean this. If I read my Bible, if I have my devotions every day and pray, and, and if I go to church and if I'm in a small group and I serve worship, walk, work, if I do all those things, God loves me more. You see, if I do those things, God is like, you see, I knew that choosing you was a good choice. I love you more. Folks, I want to tell you something. That is a heresy from the pit of hell. You see, because wound within that is this works idea that somehow I can earn God's favor. We can give God glory. That somehow, if I continue to be a good boy and be a good girl, if I don't cuss, God will love me more. 
If I don't get angry, if I don't lust, if I don't gossip, if I don't complain, God will love me more. Hey, many of you right now, are you feeling I'm uncomfortable? Because, but, 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 but. You know what I'm talking about? Listen to me. For freedom. Christ has set you free. There is therefore now no condemnation. You are freed from the yoke of slavery. You now get to be able to bring glory to God where in the past you never had the capacity to. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Paul states it, but he explains it more here, and we're going to buzz because we are now going to hit four things that he says will happen to the person who buys into, I can earn my salvation by my own works. And then he has six things that he tells the person who teaches that. We're going to go through these quickly. Here we go. Galatians 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you. Uh, Paul's emphatic here. It's like, hey, I made a statement. Now look, let me explain it a little bit more here. And he says, I myself, Paul, it's emphatic. He's, he's uh, doubled his who he is. He's putting in an emphasis here. And I want to make sure that we understand the who he's speaking to here. Uh, because it's this, in the flow of the text here, who he's speaking to is, I do not believe is the person that has come to Christ and is warning them, although in principle, we can take away a reality of that, but he is directly speaking to the person who believes that if I work hard enough, if I'm moral enough, after all, I'm not as bad as Hitler, I mean, I'm not as bad as that other person. God, you can judge me on my works, and therefore that's going to earn my salvation. Here's the question. When you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? And if the answer to that contains the idea that, well, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I've tried to be good. I just want to let you know, he's talking to that person. Listen to what he has to say. First, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Wow. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Why would that be? Why would it be? Because of this. The cross is all about God doing for me in His grace what I am utterly incapable of doing on my own. And that means meeting the entire Old Testament law. And Eric talked to you here these past couple of weeks in chapter 4 that, and 3 and 4 that talk about that. Only Christ has fulfilled the law. I can't and neither can you. And yet he fulfilled the law so that I can, by, by grace and by put, placing my faith in here, by submitting myself to him, God, listen, in light of what you've done for me, I receive that as my Savior, and I'm going to live under you for that. That's talking about the person who then is on the outside looking at that and going, but I'm earning my way. I want to tell you, that is an absolute insult to the cross. Why did Christ have to die then? If I can earn my way, save the nails, God. Uh, listen, Christ is of no advantage to you. The fulfilling, atoning work that Christ did is of no advantage. Number two, you will be obligated to keep the whole law. Verse three, I can testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, who buys into the circumcision theology framework approach, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Listen, if you think you can keep the whole law, keep it. Have a good time. But you can't. 
And you can't just pick and choose. This isn't cafeteria theology. This is about God has laid out the whole law. As Eric talked about in the last couple of weeks, it's the whole package. You're under the whole thing if you're going that route. And you're going to be obligated to keep the whole law, and that's what you'll be judged by. Verse 4, uh, point number 3, you'll be severed from Christ and grace. Wow, look at this. You, that person who thinks they can earn favor from God, is severed from Christ. Uh, by the way, it's interesting because that verb is called a passive verb. Now, there are verbs where we do action like uh, see, see Dick and Jane run. You know, they're doing the action. And then there's the thing where Dick and Jane got hit by a giant snowball. That means that somebody else did an action that they experienced the result of. It's a passive. Here this is talking about the person who buys into works theology framework of salvation. God has severed them. They have experienced the severing work of God. Listen, it's the kind of thing, if you can work it on your own, if you think you can do that, then I'm telling you the cross is of no advantage to you. You, 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 you are being severed. Uh, God's serious about this. You're severed from Christ. You will be... you. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. I need to take a minute on this here because uh, uh, what's the picture here? Is this losing salvation? No, I don't think so at all. Uh, I'll just note this. Uh, I see nowhere in the Bible where it talks about a justified person becoming unjustified. In other words, I put it this way. The Bible does not talk about becoming unjustified. The Bible talks about you are unjustified, but then you can become justified. It doesn't talk about becoming unjustified again. Okay? So in this whole discussion here, what's he talking about? I would encourage you to say there is a mountain of grace here. If I could just like Velcro myself up on, that would be cool, up on the wall here, and I'd be like, boom! And just imagine that. I know, sad, ugly, but just boom! I'm up against the wall there. I am attached to the ability, God has made his grace available. I have the, I have the attachment to that. And it's not, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily saved, but at least I have access to it. But what the falling away is talking about is as though my fingers and the Velcro is kind of releasing and I'm falling away from the availability of that. You see what I'm talking about? Here is talking about, listen, if you are one or if you have a family member who's someone who thinks that they are earning God's favor by working their way, by being moral and being better than 50% of the world, they are losing the ability to have God's grace continue to be available to them. They are falling away further and further and further from God's available grace. not a question of saved and unsaved. It's really a question here of ultimately, is one truly saved? Christ will be of no advantage to you. You'll be obligated to keep the whole law. Listen how serious this is. That person is severed from Christ and grace. Wow. And fourth, 
you will be excluded from righteousness. That person will be five. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Hey, hey, uh, saved one in Christ, are you waiting for the fulfillment of the full, completing work of the righteousness of God on our lives? Seriously, it was like, you know, I want to wait till I get married, and then Jesus, you can come back. And then it's like, then I want to have a kid, and, you know, and then Jesus, you can come back. And, and now that both my kids are, are, are saved, it's like, okay, you can come back now. Now, it's like, you know, everybody else who's in those prior stages, whatever. You, you know, it just isn't that the way we are with things. But it's like, I just want to tell you, come Jesus now. It's like, let's just bring it all to fruition. Oh, that would be marvelous. We're looking forward. We're eagerly waiting for that verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And the person who is works-driven salvation knows none of that. Knows none of the righteous, eagerly expecting grace work of Christ. Knows none of that. And God is literally saying, if you want to go that direction, that's your choice. My desire is that you would come to me. Four realities for the person who's bought into works theology. Let's just hit six realities for the person who is a works theology teacher. Uh, look at this, verse 7. Hey, hey, Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you? It's talking about this idea of someone hindering them. Now, I want to make sure we're really, I think he's really keying in on the person who's talking about work salvation, but there is the application of be careful. Listen, as we have made this choice to be over here by God's grace, it's the reality that there's a tendency to want to kind of reach back to the, to the works thinking approach. He's like, beware, just beware of that thing in there. Uh, you were running well. <laughs> How do we picture that? Uh, in 1982, Mary Decker had set six world records in track and field from the mile to 10,000, long-distance runner. I remember seeing her. And in 1983, she won both the mile and the 3,000 in the world champions, championships. And then in 1984, remember the Los Angeles Olympics? Remember that, uh, Robbie? You guys remember? Oh, no, you weren't alive then, were you? Um, <laughs> in 1984 Olympics, for us old people, I literally remember watching that. And they were coming around, and, and Mary Decker was just running the 3,000. And, and the 3,000 is about a seven-and-a-half uh, lap run. And so it was right about then, right about the completion of six laps, kind of they're coming around the bend number four into the straightaway before the final lap. And Zola Bud, number 151, the girl with the bare feet, actually, uh, running from South America, came by and clipped her foot when she went to pass her right at this point, and Mary Decker went down. She was running well. And then, if you will, in the illustration, going back to the text, someone, if you will, opposed them. I just This is the picture. I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want this to happen to me. I'm not talking again, I'm not talking about losing salvation, but I am talking about because Mary Decker got back later on and ran in more events, but I am talking about knocking us temporarily out from the progression of becoming more what Christ wants us to be. Don't buy into it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Six realities for the teacher who seeks to hinder someone. The worst theology teacher hinders God's truth. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
Uh, Number two, the works theology teacher is not from God. Verse eight, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Uh, By the way, right now, if a lot of you are kind of like, well, this isn't talking about me because I am saved in Christ, I would just like to encourage you from this standpoint as we go through these final six ones here on this teaching, I would like for you Christian parent to think of how are you teaching your children for a moment. You see, been there. It's very easy to to become a works theology parent. In other words, if my kids, if they meet the moral guidelines that I set down for them, everything's good. Well, let me just encourage you with this, challenge you with this. Even an atheist can raise moral children. You see, the difference here is, is we're to be going after the heart and the motivation behind the obedience. Hey, I also want to bring this in just to one another. You know, we're, we're seeking to be a side-by-side, life-on-life, disciple-making, one-anothering kind of a church. And as we bring the word of God and we're around one another, let's be careful that we don't buy into being, if you will, teachers to one another, embracing works theology. Let's be people about the heart, about grace, about truth, about scripture. Let's be bringing that so the spirit of God can be actually working with the meat that we bring to the table in the situation. Let's not be these kind of teachers. Okay, let's be teachers that are embracing grace theology. A works theology teacher hinders God's truth. A works theology teacher is not from God. Isn't that sad? They think they are, but they're not. Number three, uh, the text tells us in verse nine that a works theology teacher contaminates the whole church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's just one person. One little person can leaven the entire lump. It contaminates the whole church. Fourth, they will be judged. Ouch. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take neither view than, uh, no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you, that one will bear the penalty, whoever he is. They will be judged. Uh, by the way, it just brings in Matthew 7, 22, where Jesus is telling and he's saying, on that day, on the day of accounting, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, teacher? And Christ says back, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. How can that be? Uh, because in all reality, they were mixing law and grace and teaching. You can still work it. They were not teaching God's truth. They were teaching mixed up truth. Uh, let's definitely not be that. But the person who is a works theology teacher, they're going to be judged, and they're going to be judged harshly by the Lord. Verse 11, they persecute true teachers. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I'm just going to go on. Uh, Verse 12, they should be cut off. Watch this. (laughs) Paul is like a little bit seemingly over the top here. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Wow. Um, Wow. Where do I go with this? Um, Let me just kind of clarify it as the text says it. 
This is a harsh statement, and he literally is wishing they would castrate themselves. Literally, uh, what are we talking about here? Well, people have studied the, the culture and the context today. It's very likely that Paul wasn't just making a smack talk. He wasn't responding in anger here. I mean, he's writing by the Spirit of God. Uh, yet in this, it's very likely that he was referencing a cult in that day, a cult that they would know about at that time. Listen, if you think that this act of circumcision can bring you in a right relationship with God, just keep chopping. That's literally what he's talking about. Why would he say that? Because in that day, there were those men who would castrate themselves. There were priests in that day who were self-made eunuchs, thinking that by doing that, they were gaining the favor of the goddess. Do you see how that is works theology driven? And Paul's like, listen, if you're going to go that, if you're going to buy into this idea, just cut and keep cutting. Because by the way, wouldn't it make sense if a little bit of cutting earned God's favor, wouldn't a whole lot earn more? That's what he's saying here. I just wish they'd go ahead and just do the whole deal. Because this is utter ridiculousness. And not only that, they are bringing people down. Hey, as we wrap this up here, all of this is really very encouraging and positive. But it is the kind of thing where it has some heavy duty. Stay on truth. Stay on the freedom that Christ has set us free for. Stay there because when we don't stay there, look at the bad stuff that happened. Look at that yoke of slavery. I mean, my goodness, folks, we're set free. I just want to encourage you even to consider the kind of thing of if this is so, God is so serious about those who are teaching false truth, uh, who am I placing myself around that may be in a teaching position and is influencing me as a teacher and is teaching falseness? Am I keeping my awareness on what's truth and what's not? Be careful. I would say it this way. Stand firm. Stand firm on freedom in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. I don't want to be pushed off of that. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Christian life, it rocks. God, I want to thank you so much for your time together. I want to thank you for your word. It is so powerful and just so of you. And Lord, I am just so grateful for your abounding, gracious mercy, exorbitantly displayed. Lord, you are not the God who just kind of tosses out a little taste of your grace, a little taste of your love. And then it's with this idea of I come to you and I maybe get 25% of who you are. And, and yet if I persevere and I grind it out and, and I earn more of your favor, then you'll add another 10%. And then later on, you'll add 10% more. Oh Lord, I, I pray that we would just see the works theology reality in that thinking. God, you've given yourself 100% to us and the reason
reality, Lord, is I struggle to grasp a hold of that undeserved grace. God, I struggle to want to earn it. Would you help me? Would you help us to be a place that is so enamored by the abounding, amazing, surpassing grace given to people who are so undeserving that every day we would relish in the reality of your grace. Set free. There is now no, no, no.